sin had left a, a massive stain in our hearts. And, and only Jesus, only the blood that was spilled by him could truly make us white as snow. And if you're on Facebook, you have seen our warning, but you guys, the kids are, are welcome to head back to class now. Um, due to where we are in the text, I think it's important that we remember that uh, Jesus has made us white as snow. That is a difficult text. In fact, on our Facebook, we had put it is a PG-13 text, and so we have 5th through 7th grade, and some of your parents in here may be showing up, and you're like, man, what are you talking about? Well, we are in the description of lust and everything that goes with it today, and so you guys can grab a quick seat if you'd like. Um, if you are uncomfortable with not hearing this text and not, not knowing what's going to be said beforehand, and you want to listen to it at home first before you communicate it with your kids, we want to give you guys freedom to feel free to go ahead and exit. Don't feel obligated to stay. I would love when parents are willing to lead in that. Um, also, if you're going to stay and you think your kids are old enough to stay in here, um, please, please, please do not expect me to be the only one to talk to your children about this. In fact, there's a biblical mandate that you are to train your child as the way they should go. So I would encourage you that after you listen today that you would spend some time um, studying the word and, and continuing to further the conversation with your kiddos if they stay in here. I'm going to pray and then, then we'll dive right in. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for washing us white as snow. God, in a text that's as difficult as this one today, um, guaranteed to frustrate, anger, hurt, feel shame. There's so many emotions that aren't of you that will come in. God, I just pray that your spirit right now would move into this room, that, that I would get out of the way, that no one would see me or words that I'm saying or put put things on me that, that aren't you, God, but that people would just hear your word, that your spirit would saturate their heart. And a subject that I am confident that every single one of us are dealing with, battling, fighting, maybe even some of us have succumbed to. Um, God, I just pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that your spirit would move, that you would get the glory, and that no one person in here would be listening for someone else to hear, but would be present before you, um, listening with an honest heart, a heart that is um, desiring to be more like your son, Jesus Christ who is the one that paid everything for each of us. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for incredibly difficult sections of scripture, knowing that your word is infallible. Your word is unchanging. Your word is good. Your word is um, also able to cut um, the things of flesh that aren't of you, and that can be painful, God. So I pray that, that your spirit would move. I pray that, that I would get out of the way and that every single person in here would be um, either challenged, encouraged, um, or wherever they need to be, God, but they would be met by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Like we said, this is, a, this is a, a very fun set of scripture. This is the joy of just going through the Bible is that you come to sections where you're like, oh boy, that'll be good. Um, just so we can back up a little bit, Jesus has been dealing with, uh, in this section, he came out of the Beatitudes, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been dealing with this, this wrong interpretation that was, that was present in the Jewish culture, this wrong interpretation of who Jesus was and, and the purposes of God. And so what he did is he just came out of the Beatitudes with all this blessing and, and awesomeness, and then he comes in and says, look, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to, 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 to do that. And we talked about that two weeks ago. He said, but I came to fulfill it. And then what he does is he, he begins to weave himself through the rest of chapter 5 through ways that they had heard the law in the wrong way. There had been wrong interpretations. When he says over and over, you had heard this, but I say to you. What Jesus is doing is saying, look, I'm not saying you read this. 
I'm not changing what was written in, in the law. I am changing what you've heard by rabbis, how they've interpreted things wrong. And last week, he talked about how we had heard that if you committed murder, you were liable for death. But he said, look, if you hate or have been angry with your brother, you are, you are due the same judgment. And we know that in all of these you herds and all these things he's done that, that we can sing just beforehand that Jesus paid it all. We know that he paid it all. We know that he has, he has covered us in grace and that he is, he is very much there. But then Jesus comes into this section and he starts talking about something that is so rampant, so, so big in our culture that it's, it's not an, 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 an awkward conversation in the sense that every single one of us know it exists. And that's adultery. But not just adultery and the idea of, of marriage and, and the divorce and someone cheating on the spouse, but he, he lowers the standard but actually makes it a higher standard and says that lust is due the same punishment. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to read in Matthew 5, 20, um, 27 through 30. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble or sin, depending on the translation you have, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that, than that your whole body go into hell. And so Jesus comes into this section saying, now I tell you, comes in with this authority and says, look, you've heard about adultery, and every single person had heard that. It's in Exodus 20. They knew the law. You, you can't commit adultery. If, you're, if you commit adultery, then you're stoned by death. It was the punishment. And so everyone had heard that. But then he says, but I say to you, but I say to you. And he begins talking about lust. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about sex real quick. And I thought about playing a cheesy song at that moment to lighten the moment, but I just was, thought it was a bad idea. Let you guys think about that song. But um, see, God gave us this desire as a gift. See, here, here's the thing sex isn't evil, sex is an incredibly beautiful thing. Sex was designed by God for a man and a woman in a covenantal relationship to bring about oneness that He defined as marriage. And anything, and I mean anything other than that, falls short of the design that God had put in place. So when we think about things like pornography or soft porn or, or masturbation to a, to a screen or lust or anything else, this is all birthed out of the fact that it shouldn't shock us that something that was made by God, man has corrupted. In fact, we see all the way back in Genesis 3, the very first thing that Adam and Eve felt after the sin, after the fall, was shame towards their nakedness the instant it happened. And so it's not hard and it's going to be really easy for me to convince all of you that this world is messy when it comes to sexual things. And as though he's talking about lust and he's talking about those things, some of you are like, well, I haven't really committed adultery and you've already set yourself like the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm not liable to this. But I just want to say right now, anything, anything outside of that covenantal relationship where sex was designed to bring about oneness is a fracture to God's design. Anything. So if you're engaged and you're like, well, we're almost married, but we're fooling around, it's a fracture. If you're like, well, you know, I really love him and it's okay, and it seems it's a fracture. If you're spending time looking at other, other people's wives, it's a fracture. Every single thing is a, is a break to the way that God designed sex to be. 
And it, it, we have to land there to understand how big of a deal that Jesus is making about lust. Because see, if we start waffling on that, on this design and this frat, and we stop waffling on that and start taking our own version of what we think or what makes us feel comfortable or what makes us feel like it's culturally accepted, and we start waffling on that, then what Jesus says about lust is astronomical. Then what Jesus says, what you are to do if this is present, is ridiculous. Why would he be so adamant and so bold to talk the way he does about this? See, it doesn't mean we can't really want sex. In fact, you were designed to want it. In fact, it doesn't even mean that we can't seek it out, but outside of that relationship that God brings as one is you going around God's word, satisfying your immediate need apart from God's word to make yourself bigger than God. And I know you're going to hear that, and I, some of you right now are like, man, you're a prude, Brenner. How, how can you say this? Or what, what's going on? I, I, I just, just so close-minded and unloving and unaccepting. But it, it's, it's a bit comical to me that a few thousand years after God's word had been put in place, Jesus had to come to the people and say, you've heard wrong. You've heard wrong. I know you, you believe this, but you've heard wrong. And then fast forward a couple thousand years later, my bet is I've heard wrong. I've interpreted wrong. So at the very premise is sex is beautiful. And we don't have time to talk about it. There's lots of things that the Bible, in fact, if you want to read song, songs, you can, the Bible is very explicit about sex and what is okay and what isn't okay. And, and, and inside of marriage, it's beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful. And, and those of you that aren't married in here, you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. As someone who's married, who has made mistakes before marriage, it affects your marriage. It affects it. God's grace is sufficient, but it affects it in very, very hard ways. So real quickly, I want to talk about men. I'm certain, I'm certain that the men in here, that you struggle with this. Biology has proven that something between our eye and, and our lower region are connected in a way that, <laughs> that, that when we see something stimulated, a hormone or something goes off and we get excited. That's biologically been proven. And maybe women aren't wired that way. Maybe, you know, a guy can see a low-cut shirt on a, on a girl and, and can, I need to look away or can gawk or stare. Maybe if you see a, a really deep V-neck, you're more disgusted when you see that on a guy. But, but, but the, <laughs> the, the point is this, and I want to say this really clearly. 100% of the people that use porn, 70% of them are men, 30% are women. And that grows every single year. So although women haven't found the biology, the connection, they're going to porn. And I would even argue, I would contend with you that although maybe a man is more physical in his mind and he sees a woman and goes, gawk, lust, whatever it may be, women, you lust at the idea of a man. You may not be physically stimulated. You may not see that, but you see the way a husband treats a wife. And you're like, oh, I wish my husband would do that. You, you see uh, some personified person in a, in a movie and you're like, I wish my man did that. And this, this lust, this desire inside of you starts breathing, breathing, and, and pretty soon you want to act on it. So lust can be a number of different things. In fact, the definition of lust is to satisfy with the intention to satisfy one's evil desire. It means to have a strong desire to do or to secure something. Here's the interesting thing. The very same word in Greek that we see that's used in Hebrew is covet. Covet. So by that standard, then, we can lust for a nice pair of shoes. We can lust for 
car. We can lust for a relationship. But literally, this is to long for something that is not yours. He uses the term everyone here, meaning not just the married. Although he brings the tie into adultery and he talks about this. He says anyone, anyone, everyone who looks with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, some of you are single going, ah, you know, I don't really do that. I, don't, I mean, I'm not married, so it's not really anyone. But here's the thing. If, if God created every single one of us in his image, man and women, then when I lust at someone else's future pride, I've committed adultery. So he says, everyone. Now, the way Jesus uses this, in this specific situation, although, like I said, this could be tied to anything you covet and desire in this world, he uses it specifically for sexual longing, adultery between a guy and a girl lusting at it. That's the way he says it here. He says to look, that's to continually look at someone, to look at a person with a desire to do something sexual. Now, I want to be very clear. It's not the acknowledgement of beauty. You can acknowledge. We will go outside and see an amazing sunrise, and we will acknowledge the beauty in that. Do I idolize that beauty? It's not the recognition of a beautiful woman. In fact, David saw Bathsheba. I've been in Israel where his temple was and where he would have been looking down. It would have been hard not to see if she was in one of those houses. Like, it was, she's on the rooftop. It's easy for her to see. It was not the acknowledgement of seeing her. It was what he did after that. It was the forcing her to come to his chambers and then killing her husband so that he could have her. So the acknowledgement of beauty is not what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about is a looking. In a way, maybe the best way we can say it is, is the second look. There's the acknowledgement, but then there's a look to satisfy something. There's a look to entice you to something. Temptation is all around us. I made this joke in first service. It is amazing how quiet you guys are, just so you know. <laughs> Billboards, magazines, TV, internet. There's no, we can't say, well, just don't be tempted. Because that would be impossible. People have taken this scripture literally and said, well, since I've already, you know, I guess committed adultery in my heart, I might as well just go ahead and follow through with it. That's, that's asinine. People have, have taken this scripture and said, well, some, some old monks have said, well, I need to be celibate and move away. But here's the thing. We all know that there's nowhere on this world where we can go where we're going to be free of our flesh except in Christ. He uses the word here. He says sin in the ESV, but it also translates stumble. That is the idea of the bait that is placed on a trap that's going to ensnare someone. In fact, I have a mouse trap here that's set. Didn't go off in first service. Makes my hands sweaty holding this thing. But the stumble is the bait, the cheese that you put right there. Anything that causes you to want to walk to that spot, that needs to be cut off. Anything that morally or spiritually traps us. Anything that morally or spiritually traps us. And then Jesus says the most ridiculous thing. He says, if your eye is that, pluck it out. If your hand is it, then cut it off. And I would love to come and you say, you know, look, Jesus is speaking with hyperbole or extreme purposes here. He's, he's not literally meaning this because people have tried to cut off their hand. And we know that realistically, the hand isn't the sin. The sin is the heart. 
right? I know that, that I'm not going to lust unless my heart is desiring that. But I don't want to save you from that yet. I want you to sit on that. I want you to think about cutting it off because here's why. Jesus didn't just say cut off some random thing. In the Jewish culture, he said cut off, pluck out the right eye. Cut off the right hand. These were the most prized possession of the Jewish body. This was, this, the right hand was the skills at which I used. It's how I made my livelihood. The right eye was how I saw God. It was my better of the two. It was the better vision. Whether that was true or not, that's how they viewed that. And Jesus says, that very important part, that thing, pluck it out, cut it off, get rid of it. It seems astronomical. Like, why, 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 would you, why would Jesus tell us to do that? Because I know that my hand isn't what causes me to sin. It's my heart. So I know that if I cut my hand off, I'm just going to sin with the other hand. If I pluck out, an, if I have no eyes, I'm still going to find a way to sin. Right? But that, so, so Jesus isn't telling us that the solution to our sin is cutting it off, but he's making a point, I think a very, very valuable point, that you and I really stink at. And that is that it's really, really not a smart idea to walk around with a mousetrap loaded in your hand. In fact, it's, 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 it's a really dumb idea. In fact, some of you are nervous right now. You're like, is it going to go? Is it going to go? Some of you are like, come on, make it go. Put it on his finger. You've got problems. We'll talk about that later. But Jesus is making a point. He's saying, look, there are things that will cause you to stumble. There are things in your life, and you know this, they may be hot topics, they may be certain people, but in regards to lust, in regards to this very thing, you know what it is. It's your cell phone, it's your internet, it's that relationship, it's that person, it's that TV show, it's that magazine. You know what it is. Every single one of us do. And he's saying, well, cut it off. Cut it off. And my assumption is most of us in here feel like we have pretty good control of our situation. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I struggle every now and then, but God's grace is sufficient, which is true. And so we start using Scripture to fit our own lifestyle so that we can justify not living according to His Word. And what we do is we say, you know what, I have this in control. Well, then let me ask you this question. If you really have it in control, the very next time that you look at porn on your cell phone, would you throw your cell phone away? You'd be like, oh, that's just, that's silly because I'm in contract. Yeah, yeah, you're making excuses. In fact, the less inclined you are to forsake anything in place of your heart shows how much control you really truly have. See, what you're doing is you're proving that you're not in control. You're proving, you are proving that you are being led by this device, by this thing. Look, it's sickening. I did some studying on pornography. $3 billion, $3 billion last year was spent on child pornography. $3 billion. 4,000 cases of child pornography happening in Boise right now. This is sick, and I can tell you right now, no, no child wakes up and says, I hope to be exploited. But here's the scary thing. No parent really in their right mind at the very beginning says, I can't wait till they get to age to exploit. And maybe they do, but that's not all of us. It starts somewhere. And here's the problem, guys. Here's the problem. We perpetuate it. You know what's sick to me is there's no difference in pornography between the church and the world. There's no difference. The statistics are the same. 
The same percentage of people claim to watch porn from 18 to 24, whether or not they go to church or they don't. 20% of men confess to porn at work. $13 billion spent in the United States alone on porn. Three, every second, every second, $5,400 is spent. Every second, 28,000 people are staring at a screen. It's a mess. It's a fracture. But then there's us who think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not looking at porn. Let's go watch that TV show that has all sorts of nudity in it. Let's lust at the girl that's walking by. Lust at the guy that we're attracted to. It would be foolish for us to say, well, I'm not a part of the problem just because I may not look at hardcore porn. Age 11, by the way, parents, age 11 is the average age that a child first experiences hardcore porn. 60% of 13-year-olds admitted to sexting, which is a picture of a naked friend being sent to them. It's a mess. It's a mess. Why? Because we fractured the very thing that God designed as beautiful and have made it selfish and have made it about our happiness on this vapor of a life, this minuscule moment of time. So what do we do with this? I bet it's today, some of you right now, you're, you're coming in here singing Jesus paid it all, thinking about the screen you were staring at last night with masturbating. What, what do we do with that? Some of you are saying, yeah, I love you, Jesus. You're the center of my life, but I can't keep my hands off her. We're almost married and we really love each other. It's cool. And we keep trying to lower the standards when all the while Jesus is saying, you can't do it apart from me. The standards don't need to move. You need to surrender. You need to realize that, that viewing porn or, or soft porn or grotesque, nasty mo- movies or whatever it may be, objectify the image of God. If we were all made in the image of God, then I'm just objectifying them and making them an object. Looking at naked women online incites yearnings for more and more naked women, yet never gives ultimate satisfaction. This is why you get addicted to it. On the other hand, the body of one's wife is a garden of pleasures that leads to holy satisfaction. The book of Proverbs gives this wisdom of a father to a son. It says, let your wife's breasts satisfy you at all times. The body and breasts of your wives contain an intoxicating influence that no other body and breasts can bring. So while you're trying to find and satisfy something that will never satisfy, you have a wife that can fully satisfy you in that. It's like settling for a Big Mac instead of a sirloin. (laughs) Studies show that our, our minds change as we start viewing porn. Studies have shown that over time of people watching porn, first it's radar stuff, movies, then it turns into hardcore porn, and then the age of the porn begets younger and younger and younger and grosser and grosser and grosser because you're feeding the sinful desire that's in our heart. 
So how do we keep ourselves pure? Didn't feel right talking about this going, all right, well, good luck, figure it out. So let's talk about some ways to keep ourselves pure. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Do you hear that? By guarding yourself to his word. Let me not wander from what you command, God. Let me not say culturally it just doesn't apply anymore, but let me stay fast to them. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I hesitated to bring this one up because, again, this is one of those hot topics that people love to push. But I want to talk. In, in winter, I have met with guys, and we joke about, joke, man, I'm glad it's winter because girls are covering up. Like, and I hesitated to bring this up because let me say this up front before some of you ladies get all mad. It is not your job to keep all men from sinning. Okay, that is not your job. It's not your job to be like, oh, well, I'm the one that holds whether or not they do or don't sin. No, no, we're all responsible for our own sin. Okay, we're all responsible for that. But, but, I would say there is nothing wrong with wanting to look pretty. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look beautiful. In fact, again, Song of Songs talks about doing that for your husband. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But there's this fine line, and, I, and you know it, I don't, whatever. There's this fine line from wanting to look beautiful, from looking for acceptance and value from the eyes of other people in this world. And what kills me is, is that you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God, hand-knit by Jesus in your womb, in your mom's womb, not in your womb, awkward. And you, for some reason, have believed the lie that feeling accepted or valued by some other man, some other person, is more valuable than the fact that you already are accepted and valued by God who created you. See, so I, I can't say, look, I'm, I get it. Guys, you know, we may not always undress a woman, but a lot of guys do. And it's not your job to keep them from undressing you. It's not like you, if, if you were only showing your face, we'd figure out a way to lust in that. Trust me, guys are good at that. The point isn't you don't hold their key to it, but you can, as their sister in Christ, recognize that your identity in Christ is more valuable than being noticed by man. Men, I, I want to pick on you for a second because, again, like I said, deep V-necks probably don't do it for most women. But a lot of us want the attention of women, so we'll use flirting. We'll use tactics to get attention. Either side, whether it's clothing or flirting or anything else, is, is proof, is pointed that our hearts are not satisfied in how God views us. They're not satisfied in the way he looks at us. And the whole thing, I, or Job tells us that we are to make a covenant with our eyes. I get it. And, and, and 1 Timothy 5.2 talks about how we are to treat everyone as brothers and sisters and moms and dads. So here's the question, guys. If you're looking at porn, you're lusting after someone, do you realize that that is someone's Sister? You realize that that is God's child? Man, this hit home for me when I had a little girl. 
It makes me sick to my stomach to read these statistics. It even solidified it a bit more when I went to the Philippines and saw how much women were objectified there. But my problem is, is why didn't it hit me here? Why didn't I view every single one of you as sister or mom? Or as brother or father? And you know what I love about that verse in, in, second, in Timothy? Is he says, in all purity, treat each other like that. Purity. Some of you, you are not treating your sisters with purity. You are not treating your brothers with purity. In fact, you're doing the opposite of that. Psalm 119, 37 through 38 says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. And it, here's the thing that kills me, is a lot of you have walked in here today, and even sitting right now, you're feeling this shame feeling. You're feeling this, I'm defeated, I will never beat this, it's incapable. And you don't realize that God says, look, come to me. I will help you do this. You, in fact, just like you don't believe that, that God is, is, is good, that you don't believe that God made you, that you don't believe that God is, is, is a loving father, you don't believe that his power is sufficient to defeat this sin. So maybe it's time we go back to the cross and what Jesus Christ died for. Maybe it's time you start resting on the truth that you don't have to settle for less than God's best. The Spirit of God is pulling you, is leading you to follow him. And you are not, you are not incapable of beating that mousetrap. Here's the thing about the mousetrap. Is your mousetrap maybe a... Oh, man, I get nervous every time. Your mousetrap may be a cell phone, maybe a relationship, maybe the internet, maybe it's just magazines, maybe it's a specific type of porn. Jesus says, cut it off. And you know what's crazy about that? is that my cell phone and porn and my relationships are really small in comparison to what Jesus asked you to give up. In fact, Jesus said essentially that if you're not willing to whatever level, the willingness to forsake the things that are harmful to our heart will show a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So if you're not willing to cut something off, then my assumption is you're not in control. You believe this offers you more than this. You believe your happiness is more important than his holiness. You believe your ways are better than his ways. Now I have a rodent problem at my house. Mice. And I have two dogs. They're not great at getting mice, but we won't own a cat because I don't like them. So, um, <laughs> so I set mouse traps now before anyone calls Pete on me. Look, they're dirty and they're in our house. That's not good. So we can deal with that subject another time, okay? But I set mousetraps. Now here's the thing that's amazing to me. Here's the thing about these mousetraps. Although they kill a mouse and that's the point of it, I can lather this thing in almond butter or peanut butter and I can come out sometimes and it'll be perfectly clean and still set. I'm like, you little, how in the world did they, and here's, here's the thing. Now if I were to put my mind in the, in the mind of a mouse, which 
Maybe I do that sometimes, but either way. Maybe I'm a mouse and I'm like, man, that peanut butter was awesome. I'm going to go get me some more of that. And instead of approaching it like slowly, like where they step on it, you know, and they kind of like do it, you just kind of come barreling in. And here's the thing with your mousetrap. Sooner or later, you're going you're to be able to pull something from it. You know, oh, that didn't hurt so bad. You're going to be able to step out of this go, oh, you know, I, I escaped it. Whew. I'm good. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about these mousetraps is that every time, sooner or later, I come out and there's a mouse dead in it. And here's the thing. You don't lust because your hand causes it. You lust because your heart is broken and messed up. And what Jesus is saying is the more you act on that, the more you move in that, the more you show where your heart truly, truly lands with him. And you can carry this around and you can, you can be single right now and enjoy porn like it's going out of style because you're like, well, when I'm married, then I'll be okay. Problem is, is it may bite you when you're married. I promise you it'll affect your marriage. You may think there's nothing wrong with what you're doing with, with the opposite sex right now because we're going to be married and everything like that. That's going to snap. Because see, here's the thing, and here's the promise of God's word. No matter what, anything short of what he designed will destruct, destroy, hurt, imprison, pull you away from him. There's a, I can tell you the next page in this book. Is some of you right now, you're sitting here feeling greatly ashamed because you're like, oh man, I, I'm terrible at this. I do this all the time. You're feeling awful. I need you to trust me that you can put your sin to death because Jesus died for your sin. See, Jesus went to the cross and scorned your shame so that you could scorn your shame. In fact, Jesus' remedy for a wicked and adulterous heart is a new heart. His, his, his solution for our inadequacies and helplessness is his sufficiency. See, so you don't have to give to this. No one is out of the reach of God's grace. So my bet is, is you're going to leave from here. Got this. That's it. No more. I'm going to cut it off. And you're going to try. You're going to do that. And you're going you're gonna to kind of wrestle. And then you know what's going to happen. You're going to have a moment of weakness. And you're going to fail. You're going to fall at it again. And the enemy at that moment would love for you to think, would love for you to believe, you just can't do it. Start all over. It's pointless. There's no reason to try. And that is not how God's grace works. That is not how God's grace works. In fact, his, his grace is sufficient for that time and the next time. But 2 Timothy tells us something that I think is very important when it comes to these mouse traps in our life. 2 Timothy 2, 21-22 says, Flee from it. Run from it. Don't dilly-dally. Don't stand around and go, hmm, I wonder what this is. Don't taste test it. Run. He says, run from it. Stop pretending it's not a big deal. Stop pretending you're in control, but run from it. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions. Run from that youthful passion. 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then this is the best part. Do this along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Don't do this alone. Stop pretending you're okay by yourself because you're not. The more you pretend, the more you think you're fine alone, the less you confess, the less you bring to light that which is darkness, the more it ensnares you, and pretty soon I promise it's going to drop so hard it's going to hurt everyone around you. Jesus has a story in, in, in John 8, and I, I love this story because it, we only get it in John, and this is the only one, and it's, it, you can kind of, it's vague, so you can make it up, so I'm going to make my own version up to this story. But basically, it's Jesus is at the temple, and the Pharisees caught a woman in adultery. And so they were coming to him, and they were trying to trap him, saying that he was not following Moses in the law. He was, he was trying to, to go against Moses in the law. And so they bring him, they bring her to him and say, hey, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. And by, by the law of Moses, we are to stone her to death. And I love what Jesus does. And you know this story. Jesus says, okay, all right, okay. Well, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And Christians love this verse. We love to say, see, I'm not going to throw a stone. We love to feel holy. And, and we sit there standing just like these people around her going, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at fault of adultery. I haven't cheated on my wife. And, and then it says, it tells us that Jesus gets down in the sand and writes some stuff. And you can kind of picture whatever you want. But you know what I think he does? This is my own version. There's no way to back this. But you know what I think he does? And he says, anyone who's without stone, go ahead and throw it. And then he leans down in the sand and he starts writing in better handwriting than I would in my vision of this message. He starts writing pride. And then looks at someone and writes lust. And what he does is he, because he knows the hearts of everyone, he starts writing all the things that they thought they weren't doing and points out sin is present. Sin is present. Sin is present. Points out, he says, look, all of them. And then pretty soon they all leave. And he turns to the girl and he's like, was there not anyone to condemn you? And she says, no, not one. And he says, well then, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. And we love to end the story right there and go, yes, Jesus, he's so gracious. He doesn't condemn us in our sin. But you know what he says after that we love to forget? Now, go and sin no more. Now, go and sin no more. He didn't say, you know what, you're an adulterous person, and I love you, and I know that you just, you, you, you get along with, with guys well, so therefore just keep going at it. No, no, you know, I understand you're different than everyone else, and your happiness is really important, so yeah, I, I mean, I know it's temporary, but go ahead and just keep doing it. He says, no, I don't condemn you for this. You have my grace in this. You have my forgiveness in this. But if you're in me, you're going to walk with me. Now go and sin no more. Some of you need to hear that. You keep claiming Christ on Sunday and bailing on him Monday through Saturday. You keep saying, ah, you know, I'm not, at least I'm not like so-and-so or I'm not in this spot. And you keep blaming others around you and, and all the circumstances around you to make this situation okay. Well, I can't get rid of my internet because I pay my bills there. Well, you know, they still have checks. Like they do. I know it's hard to do. And you can still write a check and sell your bill off by the mail. No, no, I can't get rid of my cell phone because this is how I stay connected. Well, they have dumb phones. They still have them. You pay more for it. They have phones that are incapable of getting on the internet. It's hard to find them. But if you really, really, truly believed 
that this sin, that this sin was as big a deal as Jesus is making it, that it's worth cutting yourself off from it, then you would prove your hunger and thirst for righteousness by cutting yourself off from these things that pull you from God. Not in an act to make yourself right. We know that. I'm only right before God because of what he's done for me through Jesus Christ. But it is really interesting that every time Jesus talks about grace, every time he points to our heart, we're going to come right into a whole section of what our hands will look like with the right heart. You can't divorce the two. You can't separate heart and works. He says they're one and the same. We just have to get them in the right order. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing some more. Sex was and intimacy were designed the way God created it, and, and that is the best thing ever. He designed it in a way that, that it, it's, it's, it's an attribute of God. God is an attribute of love and intimacy and, and hope and all the things that we long for in a marriage and, and long for in life, but I think sometimes we forget that some of the attributes of God are the things that he is not, are the things that which he abstains from. And Jesus and God abstain from lust and adultery. See, and, and, and P- Peter tells us that we are to be holy like our Heavenly Father is holy. We are to be set apart for his good works. So my hope is that whether you struggle with porn or masturbation or both in the same or you're playing and fooling around with your boyfriend or girlfriend or not your boyfriend or girlfriend because you think that's truly going to bring satisfaction, which promise you will always fall short. Always will fall short. doesn't take long afterwards for you to go, well, that's it. I need more. My hope for you is that you, you, would, you would see God's grace in this, that you're not condemned when you're in him, but he calls you to go and sin no more. That you would, you would believe that you don't have to lose this battle anymore. That you would truly believe that you don't need to look at someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's mom as an object. They were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You know, there's a statistic that's so sad. Maybe this will sit your stomachs a little bit first. 78% of women that do pornography were at one point sexually abused in their life. They were told early on that they're just an object. And they believed the lie that that's all they're worth. And when you lust at them, you're proving them right. You're proving them right. You're telling them that's all they're worth and that's all they need to do when God says the very opposite. So why does Jesus tell us to cut off our hand and our eye? Not because that makes us right, because I think he's that serious about this. He's that serious that that our life in Christ is to be separate from this. I pray, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... um, It's rebuking us. God, for those in the room that are, are just stuck. They're stuck in, in the sin. They, they can't stop looking at pornography. They find every quick link to, to, to shoot off of, whether it's emails or Facebook, to look at girls that are half-dressed and, and, and run from it, to the, to the, to the people that, that continue to lust at ideas of what they want in a man, and they, they pursue that. God, the things that we keep seeking out that fall short every single time, 
And God, would you remind them that your grace is sufficient, but would you also remind them that your strength, your power is greater than any one of these things. God, for those in the room that, that continue to hide, that continue to say, like, there's people right now, I bet, are sitting in their seat going, I am done with this. I can't do this anymore. And they're going to leave not telling a single person. They're going to leave thinking they can do it all by themselves. God, that is not the way you design community. Would you draw them to someone? Father, would you point out your holiness in our lives? Would you lead us by your spirit? Father, for those in, in the room that, that maybe have a problem of looking at other people with judgment because of their sins, God, would you remind us what you died for for each of us? God, for those in the room that, that keep settling for less than your best, would you remind them that, that their happiness, their acceptance, their joy is found in you and you only? Everything else is just icing on the cake, God. Father, I pray that you would be, we'd be a changed people where the statistics would change in the church and the people of God would truly, truly be making a difference in something as disgusting as porn. God, may we run from it. We love you, Jesus. We pray for your spirit's strength. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.